Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network, and I'm glad you tuned in. Happy 2022. Merry Christmas. That was last year, actually. I should say Merry Christmas. I should say Happy New Year. My name is Anes Vomboe, and I'm glad you've tuned us at the beginning of this year's podcast. Uh, this is the very first episode of 2022, and we are glad you've tuned in. I hope you've had a great holiday. I hope you had a great break. I hope you're feeling refreshed. I hope the year is beginning with passion for you and we want to start the year by asking you a question is your church's theme for the year really from god yes you have that right we are asking you is your church's theme for the year really from god now <laughs> as the new year starts the churches in my country here in kenya roll out themes for the year and it's a good thing i like that Uh, most of these themes are rolled out in vigils or what we known as what we commonly known as keshas in Kenya as churches cross into the new year together the themes are the themes are often things that god is saying to the local church to guide them for the rest of the year while it is encouraging that men and women gather to worship and hear from god as the year begins well there are often a few looming concerns that one would easily observe now I must start by saying that the local church is God's plan for establishing his kingdom and that is not about to change. God's plan was for the local church to stand and for the kingdom of Hades to not prevail over it. It was in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 where Jesus said, "And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail over it." So God has not given us any other institution. God made God, God there, there are few institutions that are God made. One of them is marriage, the second institution is the church and God is not going to write a new bible for a generation the plan is a local church and we either get on board with it and make it work so for any christian who's trying to fight the local church any christian who's trying to get rid of the church any christian who's trying to look for a movement other than the church any christian who thinks that there's anything else but the church well i'm here to just bust your bubble that god's ways is to use the church imperfect as she is fallen as she is uh incomplete as she may look the plan is a local church and that is god's ultimate plan till he returns so these churches come up with themes and that's a good thing it's good to give guidance to people however um as i've been looking at several themes <laughs> from several churches even over the years i couldn't help myself i couldn't help but ask myself a number of questions so question number one why are most of these themes based on personal prosperity and financial breakthrough not all of them but there are many of them why don't the themes factor in the problem of sin the saving grace of god through jesus and the need for repentance why are these themes sounded more and more like motivational messages and not like biblical imperatives why are the themes detached from the issues affecting our country Why are the themes so attractive to the world? I mean, the unbelievers love these themes. Why are the themes so ambiguous and thrilling to the flesh? It's so exciting to hear these things. And I mean, I'm not against excitement, but they're exciting to the flesh. Now, I'm not implying that all church themes in my country in Kenya are like this. No. Uh, there's always a faithful bunch. God always has his remnant. I must clarify this because some people often read what the emotions tell them to read when you address their churches. So, uh before you get defensive, I'm not claiming that uh the above questions are by any means things that I've heard from God. I'm not saying that God told me these things. These are just my own personal reflections based on what the scriptures are saying. All right? 
and they are also based on what the local church is meant to operate on the based on how local church is meant to operate you see i'm saying this because in pagan histories there was an oracle the oracle was a witch a wizard a temple priest a priestess who was the only person who could communicate with the gods this person was often powerful and may at times more powerful than the ruling political class Pagan history teaches that um, pagan oracles were the center of power and at times this led to much abuse and idolatry. The biggest form of abuse and idolatry that we know is that they stood in the way of people experiencing the one true God that created the heavens and the earth. They claimed to stand for him but they actually prevented people from coming to him. Paul the Apostle confronted such a wicked oracle in Acts chapter 13 verse 4 to 12. Uh, if you remember that story, it says that uh, Paul and the Apostle, Paul had gone out, you know, they'd been settled by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia, they sailed down to Cyprus. When they arrived at Samal- Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues uh, and they were Jews in that area. And when they proclaimed the word of God to them, the people listened. And there was a problem because um, they met a magician. He was a false prophet. He was a Jew. His name was Bar-Jesus. And Bar-Jesus, this false prophet, was a man called Sergius Paulus, who was a proconsul, proconsul, uh, a man of intelligence. And this guy summoned Paul and Barnabas to hear the word of God. Okay? So, um, (laughs) this magician... Okay, whom they also call Elimas, okay, opposed Paul and Silas. And he was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him intently and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit, villainy, will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And miraculously, uh, mist and darkness fell upon Elimas. Um, this man, I believe, was the same as Bar Jesus, um, the false prophet. And he couldn't see. He couldn't see, and he had to have people lead him by the hand. And now the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. These are people who are claiming to stand in the presence of God, for God, yet they are standing against God and preventing God's people from hearing the truth. Um, I'm asking us that because we must ask ourselves, are we operating our churches the way pagans operated with oracles? Some congregants um, gather to hear from God through their pastor at the beginning of the year, and that's a good thing, but often they look at their pastor as a sort of oracle. Who will speak? And when he speaks... You know, the oracle has spoken. And when the theme of the year has been dished out, that's it. They run with it. Guys, the gospel of the Lord Jesus arrived in pagan cultures such as Rome. And the indigenous people noticed something peculiar about Christianity. Christianity toppled the oracles. In a sense, their conversions of the early, their conversations of the early Christians were something like this. So the pagan would go like, and I borrowed this from uh, Dr. Timothy Keller. He says, uh, where are the images and idols of your gods? The pagans would ask. And the Christian would respond, Oh, our God neither needs images nor idols. His fullness lives in bodily form in the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.9 But where are your temples? The pagans would ask. Oh, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit and he lives inside of us. First Corinthians 3.16 Where is your high priest? The pagans would ask. 
Oh, our high priest is Jesus Christ. He walked with us for 33 years on earth and is now seated in the heavens, ministering for us in a tabernacle made by God. Hebrews 8, 1-2. But where is your temple sacrifice? Jesus Christ is our temple sacrifice. He sacrificed his human temple, his body, once and for all, so that we may be saved. That's First Peter 3, 18. But where are your priests? Where are your attending priests? The pagan would ask, and the Christians would reply, we are all the priesthood of believers in service to God. And it became obvious to the pagans <laughs> that Christianity was not another religion. In fact, the early, the, in, in the, the early church were called atheists for not believing in the, you know, in the multiplicity of gods in ancient Rome. They had one God, not several gods. They didn't have a God for fertility, a God for war, a God for love, a God for marriage, a God for children, a God for childbearing, a God for peace, a God for money. No, they had one God. And their God was personal. He was not impersonal. He was not a God they used. He was a God who was relatable. There was a relationship. And their faith pushed them to inconvenience their personal wealth for the sake of the gospel, not protect it for the sake of their gods or accumulate it for the sake of their gods. The early church died for their faith. They didn't kill others for it. This is because our most precious faith is not centered on a sinful man. It's centered on a holy God. And I love that we go to churches on New Year's to see God. I like it. I also highly encourage this practice. It's a good way to start the year. But our churches and their themes, we need to ask if these themes are really like the early churches. What do the early church have their theme for the new year? Do we still have one God in our midst or do we elevate some things and put people in the place of God? Do our churches push us to know God personally or do they push us to become more impersonal with him by asking him for things and to bless our already made plans? We don't submit our plans to him. We present our plans to him and we tell them, bless these plans. We think that God will just understand. Guys, do our churches teach us to inconvenience our personal wealth for the sake of the gospel? Or are they teaching you to accumulate it more and more? in your treasuries and consequently succeed economically because you've quote-unquote sowed seeds? Do your churches remind you of the martyrs that died, of the, died for the faith? Do they remind you of people like William Tyndale who was burnt at the stake for having the Bible published, having it available to us in English, we owe it to Tyndale? Or do they teach us humanism, that God will kill all our enemies and lift us up to shame them? Guys, we must understand that God speaks to all of us who have repented of sin and received the promise of eternal life. God speaks to all of us. And I say this because people often think that God only speaks to their pastor at the pulpit. And like the pagan practices, they make the pastor the center of their faith. They make celebrities, many of these celebrity pastors, the center of their faith. They don't make the reason Christ the center of their faith. We know this is true because some of these quote-unquote pastors give messages or themes for the year that are downright heretical and the congregants believe it as gospel truth. And at times if you confront this, these congregants fiercely defend their pastors. You find that they worship the pastors more than they worship Jesus. When you present the truth of the scriptures that opposes what their pastors say, they fight it. Some of these themes are without a biblical backing. They are simply what you call an exegesis of scripture. Exegesis basically means butchering the word of God, twisting it to say what it is not saying. The opposite of exegesis is exegesis. Exegesis, exegesis is basically careful and truthful interpretation of God's word. And what a breath of fresh air it is when churches seek the scriptures to search them, to use them to guide them for the year. But when exegesis, that is the butchering of God's word, is rampant, you are faced with a number of problems. One, You've got a professing pastor who is not in touch with God's word. They're offering a theme that leads the congregation away from God. 
and towards him himself towards the pastor himself all right so it's not a lie <laughs> when the lord says that teachers will be judged harshly according to james chapter 3 verse 1 Secondly, a blind congregation that is carnally hungry for tickling messages of prosperity is produced. And they are ripe for this unbiblical theme. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, that you must that the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll have itching ears and accumulate for themselves teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. Three, you have a congregation that strongly believes God cannot speak unless the pastor speaks. And <laughs> and, and and that when the pastor speaks, this must be God's will. Just like in pagan practices, it's an oracle. In in this case the pastor is the oracle, the scriptures are not the oracle. They forget the pastor who is a minister, a servant, a member of the fivefold ministry, is not tasked to do all the donkey work of seeking God on your behalf. God has made in such made made it such way that you seek God yourself. The pastor is meant to equip the congregation to seek God for themselves, to become ministers of this world. We are the ministers. The pastors are not the ministers. We are the ministers. The pastors, the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers, they are equipers. We're not meant to gather in our buildings on weekends and hang out like a club, guys. We're meant to be serviced weekly and dispensed out into the world like a courier team. God designed the local church to use its leadership to equip believers so that we may go out and minister. That's what the great commission says in Matthew 28:19 to 20, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will go into the entire world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the the clergy are equipers. Ideally they're not really ministers in as much as we call them ministers they're equipers and when they stop equipping us and they start doing the donkey work that we should do seeking God for our results for ourselves they end up compromising the truth to please the people they are seeking God for and the result is weak congregants who cannot even pray for the sick until the pastor arrives I love what one of my pastors put on Facebook <laughs> as an update he said uh, conversation between a congregant and the pastor congregant says pastor what is the lord saying for this year and the pastor responds and says do you have a bible read it that's what the lord is saying <laughs> i loved it because that pastor is doing exactly what Ephesians 4:11 to 12 says he's equipping he's refusing to be a pagan oracle who has a monopoly access to god in christianity the oracles of god are not special people the oracles of god are the entire sacred scriptures which are available to all the bible says in romans chapter 3 verse 2 much in every way to begin with the jews were entrusted with the oracles of god the scriptures god has made us all the priests of believers to receive truth from his word to receive service from the leadership of the church all right through the pastors and you If you know anything about church history you know that this is how the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages made church history <laughs> the dark as dark as you know it or part of the dark ages. You see their leader the pope became an oracle instead of the scriptures just much like today. We find that the pope is venerated more than the word of God. And that is exactly how Paul was abused doing the will of a man and not of God. And if you know anything about church history you know that under the leadership of the pope in the 14th century 15th century the crusaders murdered people raped people all in the name of the covering of the oracle the pope who misled them told them that they could 
get forgiveness in advance by paying money. They could pay money and their forg- and their sins could just be covered. They're called indulgences. So the man of God becomes an oracle and has replaced the authority of the scriptures. Paul the apostle. Paul himself when ministered to the Bereans, you know, preached to them. And what did the Bereans do? They investigated to see if what Paul was saying was true. That's in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. You would think they'd be opposed for not believing Paul. In fact, they are commended to be more noble than the people in Thessalonians. The man of God refused to be an oracle. He deferred to the authorities of the scriptures. I also love that status update from my face from my pastor on Facebook because it embodied the mission of Jesus in Mark 10 45. Mark 10 45 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did come as a boss in his ministry ministry on earth. He came as a servant. And if Jesus came as a servant, why then would I take the place of a boss, yet I'm only a servant to the servant? When I'm a boss, I can say something heretical and be close to correction. When I'm a servant, I'm cognizant that I'm a steward of God's people and I have to teach sound doctrine. When I go off track, I do not wait for correction because I've invited it already as a way of life. I'm saying this because many people today, many professing believers sit and listen to heresy taught Sunday after Sunday and they cannot challenge it because the pastor is a boss, he's not a servant. I'm calling you to abandon such churches that are not biblical, to abandon such churches that are not in line with God's will. Churches where the pastor is a boss, is not a servant. Churches where he preaches heretically and the congregants know that that is not true, that is not the word of God, but they cannot say it because he's a boss. They cannot challenge it because the pastor is an oracle. He's placed himself above the scriptures. So the congregants are ripe for deception on account of their ignorance. There are many people being deceived and you're there. You must speak up. The local church is meant to function with our pastors as leaders, submitted to the scriptures, with congregants feeding on the word of God daily instead of depending on a 45-minute sermon to survive for the week. Guys, if that changes, we'll see our churches being challenged with pertinent questions. You need to ask your pastor, hey, why isn't sin being preached of and spoken in this church? Why doesn't our church preach on the blood of Jesus? Why doesn't our church preach on the second coming of Jesus Christ? How come our New Year themes are always self-centered and prosperity-focused? Why aren't our yearly themes based on justification, sanctification, and glorification? Why is Pastor so and so twisting the scriptures? Is that what it really means? Why are we being told to follow our dreams, yet our dreams could involve sin? Why are the blessings of God only financial? Why are gifted people in ministry excused for their lack of character? Why is the worship team member sleeping around, yet they are being allowed to still sing on that stage? Why is that pastor quoting a heretical teacher? Why are we focused on buildings and legacies instead of spiritual batons? Why are we not equipped to cast out demons? (laughs) Why is that someone based on a businessman's life instead of the gospel? Why aren't we taught how to engage in spiritual warfare? What are we doing to minister to the poor in our community? What are we doing to respond to the issues that are affecting our country nationally? Why aren't we planting churches in places the gospel hasn't been preached? Why are we still busy opening so many branches within the same area and yet there are 10,000 other churches in that area? Why is the unadulterated message of the gospel not taught? And why are we so distant an image from the early church that was found in the book of Acts? You see, these questions cannot come from people who are deceived. They can only come from true worshippers. These questions will offend pagan oracles, but these questions will encourage biblical pastors. I pray as the year begins, you'll start well. I pray that you'll be bold you'd be courageous. You would stand for the truth. I pray that you'll start the year well, spiritually, 
and go on in this momentum. My name is Anes Wamboy and this is the Relationship Center Podcast on the Edify Podcast Network. For more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you, please head over to www.edify.app. That is www.edifi.app. Or you can search for the Edify app in the App Store and the Google Play Store. And we'll see you next time.